What's up, guys, and welcome back to Perpetually Correct, presented by Sensibly Loud Media. I am your host, J-Mac, joined by JB. JB, what's going on, man? J-Mac, it's Sunday morning. We got the London series on, and man, I could get I could get used to waking up Sunday morning and seeing some baseball going on. I don't know about yourself. I actually just tweeted that out a little bit ago. That's probably one of my favorite things about all this. I love that, like, it's almost like the same logic that we always talk about with soccer, where it's great to, like, wake up and turn it on, and... It's just that, but with baseball. And you get to kind of lounge around and, you know, bum around and watch them bobble things in the infield. And, you know, it's a good time. Yeah, and Gordo Nunez, rough day in the infield so far, son. Get get better, man. Woo. You're not kidding, man. I was, uh, I was actually yesterday, I had, uh, so yesterday was the first uh, game of this. And we'll get into it a little bit, but I was busy, and so I didn't get a chance to watch it until last night. So we're going to talk about what the series has looked like so far and all that. So lots to come on that. Man, I was looking at it this morning, 67 days till regular season football. Wow. that I think it's about seven more Saturdays left of no college football either, which for myself, I mean, I love the NFL as well, but college football just i don't know if it's because it starts earlier mm-hmm. or what but it just you get so excited it's amazing i am a little bit more of an nfl guy than a college football guy as you know and that'll kind of become prevalent over the season which i love about our balance right right but i think i just i get excited for college football but it's the same kind of concept as like preseason for nfl where i feel like the early games are just so meh that I'm not even really concerned. Like teams aren't heating up yet. Teams are young and trying to figure out what they are, who they are. I mean, if you're pretty much anything other than like Clemson, Alabama, you know, those, some of those powerhouse programs, I mean, those they matter, but the weight of them feels less because you feel like you're going to beat the piss out of like Ball State if you're, you know, Texas. Yeah, and, or and I think it's sort of kind of like the NBA and all these sports. You pretty much know who's going to be there at the end or a general idea. There's probably only about 20% of the teams that actually have a chance to get there. And, uh, you know, there's really no chance for a non-Power 5 school to breach the national championship, which is kind of what bugs folks, you know, with the emergence of UCF over the past couple of years. So I think that turns some folks off in college football just because they feel like, well, hey, in the NFL, anyone has that opportunity to make the Super Bowl, while college football, there's probably no chance even if, let's say, University of North Texas goes 13 and 0 that the committee would put them in the playoffs. So, I think that's a frustrating part to folks and you know, something we'll certainly break down in college football season is how how we view it and who we see could get there. Do you have any rapid ideas of how they would fix that problem? No, and I don't think it needs to be fixed. Um I don't anyone who thinks that UCF should have been in the college football playoffs is kidding themselves. I mean, they would have been about a four touchdown underdog versus Bama. Um, so if you're not going through the gauntlet of these better teams, it's just not logical to say that you should be there Yeah. now on the flip side, my only thought to college football, the way to solve it, which will never happen is to get rid of all the conferences. You schedule who you want to schedule. They give you non-conference games. People don't have an issue with that. Let you, Hey, if you're UCF and you want to schedule the, you know, a full gauntlet of four, five, you know, top tier programs great do it but you know i don't think it would hurt the rivalries like you know michigan michigan state can still schedule each other every year you know wisconsin minnesota 
Florida, Florida State. I mean, you can still have all these rivalries. It doesn't need to be these, you know, in or out of conference rivalries that are necessary to keep them together. I think it would allow the flexibility for these programs and schools to really put their money where their mouth is. Hey, if you want to schedule all top tier schools and they want to accept that invitation, great, go for it. So your theory would be that they would basically everybody would just be independent. Exactly. Hmm. I mean, you, you have a handful of teams. You've allowed Notre Dame to do that. They've been very successful in doing that. I don't know why you don't open that up. And I think it's something that will eventually get looked into just from the standpoint of if we continue to have mid-majors such as UCF or others, you know, Boise for a good decade where they were going, you know, 12-0, and being a top, you know, beating, you know, one or two ranked teams uh, out of their out-of-conference, but people diminishing their their strength of their in-conference of a mid-major, I think that opens up that box for teams to really expand out. And, I mean, who wouldn't want that? To have, you know, every year to have a different schedule. As I mentioned, you can always have your same rivalries, but I think it would really be fun to see some different schools go apart, uh, you know, go at each other. From a fan standpoint, that sounds great. But we always talk about this. Just follow the money and you'll see why it wouldn't work. I mean, yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> it, and that's the biggest issue. You know, all these contracts with all these. I mean, you'd have to line it up where you, it'd be something 20 to 30 years down the road. I mean, these yeah. teams are locked in with conferences so far out that it, it's almost unbelievable. So, yes, to your point, it's pretty much impossible to do unless it was decades and upon decades of saying, hey, at this point, we're disbanding. I also think there's merit in conferences just in the fact that it provides more evenly distributed funds i mean regardless i mean even though we're you know players aren't paid and all that stuff i mean make no mistake money's moving around all the time with this stuff right and there's you've got to think that at least in the conferences where you have like like i I look at like the big 12 for example texas obviously the biggest leader in the big 12 and then you've got a lot of schools like Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, like good programs, just smaller schools. And that's not a knock on them at all. They're just smaller schools. But I feel like the revenue from being in a conference, TV-wise and all that, is a little bit more evenly distributed. And that's probably what, but between that and the TV contracts, would be the hardest thing to make that happen as far as everybody going independent. To your point. Yeah, and I agree. And then on the flip side, I would argue that Football is really the only sport that I think would benefit from it. Um, you, you know, college basketball, baseball, they all have that opportunity to make it in. You, every year you see mid-major type names in the college baseball World Series. Every year we had mid-major upsets in the in the big dance. So I don't know how they fix the system of allowing mid-majors in. Um, and obviously the most simple answer would be to expand the football playoffs. But when you're expanding to 16 teams now, you're adding another two games on top of it. So you're talking about, you know, let's say Alabama playing 13 games at their conference championship and then another four to win the national championship. You're looking at teams playing possibly 17 games in a season, which is a lot for 18, 19, and 20-year-olds who are coming from a, let's just, you know, eight to 10 high school game season. So I think that's a tall order. I'm for expansion of playoffs if – you reduce down the number of games per season. So down to 10, remove two non-conference games, 
because at that point it's just not necessary. And then you can move on because then you'd be still looking at about, you know, 14 to 15 games, which is fine. But if you're still going to play a 12 game season conference championship, and then a four game playoff, possibly that's a lot of football for these young kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For a lot of people that will not be professionals and that's kind of the highest level. Yeah. We'll, we'll riff more on this. Let me think through that a little bit more because I haven't, had time to give it as much thought as you have and you know me i like to fix these kinds of problems i'm, I'm a fixer that's what i do yeah i love it love it well i came up with something yesterday i think we're going to start doing this every week on the show uh, i think we're going to call this fun facts of the week and oh i ran across something here and i'm going to just run this i'm going to run a couple of resumes side by side for you okay okay and what this is looking at this is just a random fun fact of the week we're looking at Tom Brady versus Bartolo Colon. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So for Tom, 18 seasons. Bartolo, 21 seasons. Tom has 205 wins. Bartolo has 247 wins. Brady has three Super Bowl losses. Bartolo has none. Brady has zero home runs. Bartolo has one. Brady has 159 interceptions, and Bartolo has zero. Which athlete do you take? in what context for which sport whatever man <laughs> oh man you know both both bring different energies um you know if you're just talking about a clubhouse guy give me bartolo cologne those warm-ups those heavy hacks i mean you just talk about a guy you can rally around and i mean he spent the latter part of his career he had a i think about a half a season here in texas i mean you just you, you, I watched every game he pitched. I was excited. You knew he was yeah. probably gonna, you know, let up about five runs over five innings. But watching him just spin it, he's laughing, he's smiling. Uh, but you know, Tom Brady, man, what a competitor! And um, I'm excited. You know, did you see that that Instagram out of Tom Brady this week where he showed the you know sixty plus mile an hour zip on his football? I did. Uh, you know, I mean, you just got to love the guy and his. You know, social media. There's a lot of you know, good and bad with social media, but some of the more fun parts of it are these athletes trolling, you know, the media or, you know, it just shows that they do hear it, you know, fans complaining, talking heads complaining. These guys do hear it. They are aware of it. And then when they're able to fire back like that, so nonchalantly, it just gives me such a fun laugh. So can we call this segment ridiculous things of the week? Is that probably better? Yeah, yeah, I okay. think that's yeah. I mean, the fact that someone would put that together, you know, <laughs> I know right? people people have done that, and you, you just kind of got to laugh. You know, the wins part is just what gets you. You you really puts into perspective what a great career, obviously Bartolo Colon has had. You know, to to be near that two fifty number and uh, the seasons that he put in, and you know, obviously Brady and. I mean, I, I, I've been an advocate of saying, you know, geez, that cliff for 40-year-old quarterbacks is pretty steep, and Brady keeps, you know, knocking that down. So I don't know if that has to do with his diet, his trainer, or what's going on over there. But, I mean, a, as you go through sports and you see these great players, it's always hard to appreciate them in their prime. Mm -hmm. So I think just appreciating the continued success from Tom and – you know, maybe what he loses in, you know, zip or, you know, downfield yardage, you know, he picks up and, and smarts every year. So it, it's just fun to see this guy continue to go out there and compete while every year there's someone at ESPN or Fox telling him that he's going to fall off. I mean, he should have a long time ago. 
to be fair, but he just hasn't. And there's something to be said for that. And there's certain guys that are like that. Nolan Ryan was one of those guys through yeah. a ridiculous amount of innings somehow and just continue to stay healthy. Just was built for it, I guess. Right. So it, it, it's fun to see. And um, gosh, just can't wait to see him with uh, Nikhil Harry, man. Love that pairing. Big kid on ASU. I think that's uh, someone people aren't going to be talking about because Patriots will keep it hush-hush, but that is a guy in a body that Tom will enjoy throwing to. It's like having a more consistent Josh Gordon. Well, yeah. I mean, it's hard to make a comp without seeing him yet. Um, well, I'm but just I saying think, as far as like a skill set and raw skill set, that's what he's got. Yeah. He's not that yeah, fast or anything yet. but Yeah, he's not going to burn you, but just they need, you know, with the Gronk retirement, they needed a big body in there to bang around. And I think uh, you're going to see that. So uh, certainly we'll dive deeper into the Patriots preview, but uh, something for fans to get excited about is a young kid, Nikhil Harry, out of ASU. Boy, real quick, I'm glad you brought up Gronk being gone. Those pictures that came out of him are absolutely unreal, aren't they? Man, I mean, it looks like he hasn't ate for a week or something. He's the wheeze. He's dropped at least 100 pounds. I mean, yeah. I mean, you almost got to wonder, I mean, did, did you stop taking protein? I mean, that, that's just a lot of muscle to lose that fast <laughs> that fast i mean even if you didn't work out i mean it it takes a lot of effort maybe he's just doing you know barry bonds did it too you know obviously he's probably had a little something else in his body but man, that's certainly a body transformation if you've seen one when you're going down to you know six six whatever height he is and just twigs so yeah for those that aren't familiar there was a picture that came out of him on twitter this week that was pretty shocking i mean he looks like a string bean considering what he's always looked like it's pretty wild that's kind of what we're referring to here so uh go check that out if you haven't seen it it's wild though yep um all right so since we were off last week we didn't really get to talk much nba draft so let's just hit on that real quick because we've got a ton of stuff to hit on as far as free agency the lakers being dysfunctional all that what were your just overall thoughts of the draft yeah, I think kind of the first big trade that we saw, or at least relatively speaking, was the Timberwolves moving up. And I, I think a lot of people thought it was going to be for Colby White, the point guard out of North Carolina. Uh, you know, Minnesota Timberwolves have been very um, – they've been looking to move Jeff Teague, I think is the best way to say that. Uh, I think they're looking to move on from him. Obviously, they had Derrick Rose there last year that is being moved on as well. Um it's it seemed like a logical fit you know they yeah. got Wiggins there who you know certainly needs some work uh, but from the standpoint of looking at a need and the best player on the board figure that's the route they'd go uh, obviously they ended up taking Jarrett Culver out of Texas Tech which we talked a little bit about is you know a little bit older of a kid not a freshman coming out um, you know headlined a great Texas Tech team that sh arguably should have won the national championship or could have uh, you know, without things falling their way. So I think that was my biggest shock was first, just seeing the Timberwolves trade up and second, taking Culver over Colby White. Yeah, I, I get the logic with that pick, though, because Colby White's going to be somebody that needs the ball a lot in his hands. And you've already got Carl Anthony Towns. And if you're I, I just feel like they're really looking to add big and free agency. And we'll get into that here in a few minutes. But it feels like Minnesota has a plan with that. And it just it's putting the right pieces around Carl Anthony Towns. I think they're tired of the whole Thibodeau regime as far as players, and they want to get most of those guys out of there, hence the Jeff Teague thing. So I, I don't hate that. My biggest surprise, but also it, it was a surprise, but I don't feel like it should have been, was the fact that 
Cam Reddish fell to 10 to the Hawks. I think the Hawks had a great draft and got a lot of value right there. That's probably where he would have fallen in any normal draft. So it does feel like since it was a deep draft, he fell, or a, a shallow draft that he fell in terms of the cliff. But that's a good value pick at 10. Yeah. Finish was slipping down some draft boards. I, I, I think people kind of had an issue with, you know, not seeing a ton from him being that he was the number three and you could argue fourth option at some points during Duke season. So it's just tough to understand maybe how his game translates. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think it's a great pick by the Hawks. I love what they're building there. I, I mean, they, they brought it. Didn't they get Deandre Hunter as well? Yeah, they did. I think that the Hawks did the best job within the draft as far as acquiring picks, moving down and all that stuff. And the Pelicans did the best outside of the draft, which we'll get to in a few minutes. Yeah. And touching just briefly on, you know, the Pelicans draft. I mean, obviously taking Zion Williams was going to be the the pick now bringing in a guy like Jackson Hayes out of Texas. Um, two things, terrific talent, you know, before he did have that season ending injury at Texas, it was looking fantastic. I am confused on how he pairs with Zion. Now, obviously, he's very young, 19, needs to develop a little bit. So I, I think we'll see that. Um, but I was a little bit confused on how that pairing is going to fit. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. But I do think they brought in a lot of young talent, which is kind of what I expected them to do was, hey, we're going to just take all these draft picks. We're going to take a lot of shots and see who can fit best with Zion. Jackson Hayes is – I mean, I agree with that. I think Jackson Hayes is a really – good like prospect but i don't know what he is like so we live in this era of positionless basketball that's just now i think starting and bubbling up that we yep. we haven't fully appreciated yet but it's coming and it's been happening for a little while now but it's going to be more mainstream as we go so i mean you're going to see guys listed at just a forward instead of a small forward versus a power forward right and right. i mean at 611 220 that's right in between those two positions but it may not matter and if you yeah. like, if he's your big guy in small ball, and you're looking at positionless basketball where you're, you know, Gasol is taking, you know, taking and shooting thirty four percent from three point land, like it, things start to change as far as strategy and and just overall looks. So, I think Jackson Hayes has a lot of upward potential. I just don't know where his ceiling is, and get especially given that he got hurt. I mean, it's kind of really hard to tell. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, the one draft that I don't think a lot of folks are talking about, which which I understand, um, is going to be the Grizzlies. Now, Jay Morant, you know, the kid they took out of Murray State, fantastic talent. I think he's going to translate great to the, today's NBA. Just fast pace, can shoot, can drive. He's got the length. The flip side that is not being mentioned is their draft pick from last year, Jaron Jackson out of Michigan State. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because most folks don't understand is Jaron Jackson was drafted basically a year earlier than he should be. He graduated high school as a junior, so he played what should have been his senior year of high school at Michigan State. So essentially, you know, people kind of poo-pooed on him, but he looked like what a lot of these kids out of high school looked like back in the day when you could draft kids straight at 18. So now, he, you know, he's got a full year of NBA under his belt. He's probably going to be, able, you know, he's going to have full NBA offseason to bulk up, kind of get that meat on him. I think you're going to see big progress with him as well. You know, the Grizzlies have completely 
you know, with moving Mike Conley moved on, it's the youth movement. I think, you know, pairing him with Jay Morant, that's, that could be a very deadly combo of having a lengthy guy who Jaron Jackson did have some Kevin Durant comps. He's got that range. He's got that length or not Kevin Durant. I apologize. Kevin Garnett. You yeah, know, I was going to say, range. I think KG there. Yeah, not KD. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin, oh my, Garnett, KG. So I think it's going to be interesting to see those two pairing together. If Jaron Jackson can take that next step. And obviously they did bring in Brandon Clark as well. I like that. It's a good solid pick. He's going to be probably a rotational guy for his career. I think it's just solid depth to bring in kind of in the later part of that first round. So I like what the Grizzlies did. They brought in, you know, the best players on the board. And they do have a lot of young talent within that system, including Jaron Jackson, who I think will take a nice step these next couple of years. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, so let's move into NBA free agency. So that so NBA free agency starts today. It uh, it starts at six p.m. Eastern time, and basically what that means is teams, uh, the league year turns over, so the cap has already been calculated. It's one hundred nine million, I believe, and for the season. And that's basically the amount that each team can sign players to as far as how much payroll they have on their rosters. So that's kind of how that breaks out. And today the league year turns over and teams are officially able to negotiate with free agent players. Guys are at the end of their deals. It's a big day for NBA. And this is arguably the biggest free agency. Well, the only other free agency that I can think of that was even remotely this wild, and it's not even close to is how crazy is today is going to be when these teams start negotiating and getting deals done. The the closest year I can think of is the year where the last time Kevin Durant was a free agent and you had so many pieces. I mean, he went to Golden State, leaving the Thunder. You had pieces moving around everywhere. Kawhi was still with the Spurs at the time. You had, you know, th- there were just countless things going on at that point. You had... Um, some ripple effects absolutely. right and you also had like that was the deandre jordan year where he bailed on the mavericks like there was some weird things going on a ton of movement going on in the nba though this is the biggest and the most amount of movement like already we're seeing and it's we haven't even started yet yeah it's certainly of all-star players you know quick rundown you know mark steins reported Kyrie to the nets Kemba to the celtics clay signing the max porzingis extending the max with the mavs uh Nikola Vucevic is Vucevic. probably probably the you know maybe the one out of left field that folks didn't see coming maybe this extension with Orlando um, and then Harrison Barnes with the Kings but uh, you know those last two were kind of I don't think necessarily on folks' radar maybe just because it wasn't big enough names but um, certainly mm-hmm. the news coming out last night that Kemba's going to the Celtics sent some shock waves through and. Uh, you know, just all Danny Ainge doing everything in the background. No one sees and then comes through clutch. So uh, as a Mavericks fan, it's tough to see Kemba move on to the Celtics. That was kind of a pipe dream. Um, but I think Kyrie to the Nets, too. That's certainly interesting. It, I would say that obviously locks in D'Angelo Russell not re-signing there. Obviously can't have two point guards playing there at max deals. So I think probably one of the bigger names left outside of KD is what does Russell do now? He's he's, he's going to be a very courted man at this point. He is, and there are a lot of teams that are talking to his agents and everything so far to try to get at least meetings and all that. So these guys will go out and meet with all these teams and whatnot. And so I, I think that's a good point. I think there's a lot that's already kind of worked itself out, and we haven't even gotten to when these official negotiations can start. That's the funny thing about this is all this stuff is already being, a lot of it's already been done, and they're right. just waiting to announce it once they can. And it, it's 
it sucks, right? But it's also that's just the nature of how it all goes. And this this free agency more than anything else is going to wait for some of those top dominoes like your Kawhi Leonard's and Kevin Durant's to sign first before we start to see what other teams are doing. And I've been far on the record all year of saying, like, uh, all we've heard is, like, Kevin Durant's going to the Knicks and he's in New York, it's done. I think that's a really, really big assumption to make, and I've never bought into it. I wrote a blog, like, three months ago. I read it yesterday just to see if it all still held up. Every single word (laughs) of it still held up. The Knicks are never capable of doing something like that. Now it could still happen, and we'll talk about our official predictions in just a second, but these big pieces moving are going to matter about where everything else goes. And you it's almost like you have... Uh, it's almost like five-star versus four-star cr- recruits where yeah. in college where it's five-stars, obviously, your elite top level, you almost never see it. But a four-star is still pretty damn good. It's like a one... Like an A plus and an A... And then kind of B and C, those are kind of the tiers it rolls down because there's so much money moving around and so much talent that's potentially going to move around. Yeah, and I think it's interesting for the standpoint of, you know, a team like, let's say, the Mavericks who are trying to bring in a guy like Kemba of that nature. Do you say, all right, do we keep fishing for that big, big, big catch? Or do we take a step back, maybe take two middle-level guys, you know, Patrick Beverly, Brogdon, do we go that route and assure that? Because, you know, you don't want to miss out on everything. And there's teams who are always fishing for the big name, like the Knicks do every year, and then they miss out on a big name, they miss out on the second-tier guy, and then they overpay for a <laughs> third-tier third guy. guy. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you, you have to, as an organization, really – and this is why these guys get paid big bucks, and this is where you win or lose your job, is if you're able to kind of pace out the market, understand where you stand with guys – and make those right decisions. So uh, the, the names that I'm always interested in or that second tier that we kind of talked about, the more the four-star guys, where do they want to fall into line? How do they fall into line? And then what team really missed out on adding anything positive to their squad? Correct. And that's you couldn't have hit the Knicks thing better on the head as far as the you know signing the lesser guy because that's always what ends up happening with them and it's you know like i i remember i think we've talked about this on this show before i remember back to the the decision in 2010 with lebron when every i mean every knicks fan in the world told me it's done it's it's everything but inked he'll be here and you know with the knicks you know in a month like lebron's going there didn't even meet with him went to the the heat instead obviously yeah and i i just i've heard this before so that again it, it doesn't surprise me at all I think you brought up the Kimba thing to the Mavericks. I get where you're coming from there, and it and it it wouldn't be a bad thing. I think there's concern there though because the goal is you. So last year, from the average basketball fan, you want to see the ball in Luca's hands. You want to see him grow, right? I think that's fair. Yeah, but I also think that Luca has a lot of talent that's off the ball that was not tapped into and utilized because of that last year. So you need another shooter, and you need a guy that. Is not necessarily ball dominant. You just you have to have guys that are down the middle that can play off the ball and on the ball. And there's that's really important with the way Luca's skill set is crafted because he does need the ball. He just doesn't need the ball as much as he had the ball last year. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it, and I think Przingis will help with that as well. You For know, sure, he's going to be able to stretch the floor and um, and you know the two names that are kind of floating out there. I'd say. I'm not a big Jimmy Butler superstar guy. I think he's a very good player. I think he's a four-star. You know, he, he's not Kawhi Leonard. He's, yeah. a t- he's below that. So, 
you know, where does he fall? You know, the Clippers are being rumored about. And this is kind of what we're speaking about is that that domino effect. So if the Clippers do miss out on, you know, let's say KD, Kawhi, someone of that nature, do you give Jimmy Butler the max? You know, Tobias Harris is another name. And you talk about a guy who, who could end up with the Knicks. Tobias Harris just fits that mold. He's not a superstar. He's a good player, but they would bring in a guy, max him out, and then block Kevin Knox, a guy you took in the first round, from really playing his true role. So right, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how those dominoes fall. You know, Jimmy Butler hasn't been getting a lot of attention, and I think it's just to the point that you made is because we have such a superstar all you know class. Yeah, you know when you looked at it, you could have thought, well, you know, Kawhi could have been extended, KD could have been extended, you know, and not had these big question marks. You know, we were looking probably at the beginning of the season. You were probably going, well, you know, maybe Kawhi's there. But, you know, you, most people thought Kyrie was getting extended. So that wouldn't be a guy that was out there uh, necessarily. So it's just the fact that we've had these these guys who have decided to explore free agency has really, you know, watered down the market necessarily or interest from the media and guys like Jimmy Butler, who was being talked about a ton mm-hmm. last year about where will he go next season? Where will he go? Uh, so it's interesting to see how that affects everyone else. That's a very good point. And I think there's and, and kind of what I was saying about the Mavs too. So that kind of leads that back to that because they essentially, since they need that very specific type of player, you don't necessarily have to go swing for the fences, especially when you're about to max out Kristaps Porzingis. I think that's a big acquisition. And regardless of whether that's in-house or not, that's still a big piece for them. And right. it allows them to consider players like Patrick Beverly and Brogdon and not that those are lesser guys necessarily, but they're just not like your Kawhi level free uh, superstars, but that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You need those guys. And I think that's where teams like the Mavericks have a really distinct advantage. And I I mean, with Kimba, like the fit in Boston is perfect because he just really needs to replace what Kyrie did production on the court production wise on the court and hope that you get more out of Hayward and you know and start gelling that young core again together. And so all that to be said, there are a lot of specific fits that really make up what's happening with some of these moving pieces and dominoes. And that is what it comes down to. So what I want to do here, I want to go down the list. I want us to make predictions of where we think some of these top guys are going to go. And we'll talk about them on the next show. Um, all right, so let's start here. What do you think? Where, what's your call on Kawhi Leonard? Where's he going? I think he returns back to Toronto. I've been been banging that for a while. So I think he's doing what you should do when you're looking for a new job is explore all options, make sure it's the right fit. But I think at the end of the day, he returns to Toronto. I don't hate that. I'm going to say he goes to the Clippers. And I've heard a lot of Kevin Durant and Kawhi teaming up talk in the last couple of days. I don't know how much I really believe that. It's really hard to tell with some of these narratives that are out there sometimes, but I don't know if I necessarily believe it. So I'm going to say he's going to the Clippers, but I do think there's a strong chance that he returns home or home, I guess, back to the the Raptors. I would say it's like a 51 49 edge to the Clippers here, though. Okay. So fair enough. It's close. Kevin Durant. I think he goes back to the Warriors. Yeah. I, I, I just don't see another option there. I think they're going to max him out. They're going to take the hit on the luxury tax and. I think they understand what they have there, and they're playing more of a long-term term game here. But yeah, I, I don't see, I don't see him leaving. I think he's gone, and I think he's, I think this gives the Warriors the ability to say, well, we tried to max him, we didn't just let him walk, 
and they'll do it if they have to, but I, I would get where they're coming from by doing that. I just I think he's gone because ultimately the money's going to be better somewhere else. Yeah, well, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. It'll be interesting to see. So I'm going to say, I think I still think he's going to the Nets. To be honest with you. Wow that that would be that would be very interesting with yeah. with Kyrie there. That'd be interesting. I have changed my thinking a little bit on that. I would say cl- Clippers are a very close second, just for the reasons I talked about with Kawhi. All right, so Kyrie is pretty much going to the Nets, right? Oh yeah, that's done. Yeah, yeah. Okay. From my understanding, that's done. Same, yeah. but I just I want us on the record. Okay, Clay. Yeah, Warriors, absolutely. Warriors. Yep. They already. I think they already intend to offer him the max. Yep. That that's the sound of it. Kimba's going to Boston. We've got that. Yep. I'd be shocked if that fell apart in the last two seconds, but it's been known to happen. Jimmy Butler, yep. where's your where's your head at on that? Yeah, I, I think if um, I, just since I've said you know Katie's staying, um, and Kawhi's going back to Toronto, I think the Clippers are the the next logical choice. He's looking for money and fame. That's kind of always what he's wanted. So I think uh, I think you can get that from the Clippers. So okay. That's an interesting pick. I haven't heard much of that out there, but I wouldn't be. I don't hate that. I think they should definitely be looking at those options. I think you're. It's going to turn into, if it plays out how I think, it's going to be a Clippers Knicks, basically bidding or you know two teams looking at them. You know the the heaviest, and I think realistically he would choose L.A. over New York. That's fair. I, I don't. I don't hate the logic. I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure there. Um, I'm gonna say that he's going back to Philly, though. Oh wow, okay. That that'd be. I mean, I could definitely see it. I wouldn't hate it, but yeah, I don't know if it worked out as well in Philadelphia as it really came off to people. Uh, you know, I think he was just more happy to get out of Minnesota than anything. So I, I just think he's looking for kind of a fresh start. And uh, the Clippers got a lot of young pieces, draft picks. I think that's somewhere that can be surrounded with a lot of young talent, and he, he'd be the guy. He wants to go somewhere where he's the guy, and the fans love him. I think Philly's got a you know a huge hard on for Joel Joel Embiid, so uh, he wants to go somewhere where he's the face, and that could be the Clippers very quickly. This whole thing that's been going around this week of the fact that he wants to be in Houston and that Daryl Morey is going to try to make the Sixers do a sign and trade for him, there's no leverage that the Sixers have and no benefit to doing that. They take on like three players. I forget all, all who it was. I know it was Clint Capella and a few other Eric Gordon and one other person. I forget who it was, but I, I, there's no reason for them to do that. And I, I also question adding Butler to that Rockets team. I don't know if that makes you a lot better. You just add another ball dominant guy to a team that's already has two ball dominant players. I agree, and you know I think Houston missed their chance two years ago when they're up three two on the Warriors. Uh, you know, without Chris Paul's injury, I think they probably win the NBA championship that year. Uh, now the roster's aged. You spend a lot of money on guys who are in their mid to late thirties. I, I just feel bad. You know, James Harden's a great player. I would have loved to seen him get a championship, but it just feels like at this point with that current roster, unless Houston completely turns some things over, especially moving Chris Paul, I just, it's tough to see a scenario where, and to your point, where that makes sense for them to have CP3, Harden, and Butler. That would just uh, be a nightmare. Yeah, I don't think that would work at all. I really don't. Just the dynamic alone, because that offense is so one-dimensional. We talked about that before. Right. And it just, 
it's all iso ball. Right. That's it, all it, it is. And that's not Jimmy Butler's forte unless he has the ball in his hands. And right. what else do you do? You know? Yeah. Okay. Tobias Harris. Yeah, I think I think as I mentioned earlier, I think the Knicks are a, a logical landing spot. They they got max money if they miss out on everyone, which I think they will. And uh, I think <laughs> I would take it if I was him too. And uh, it, people still want to say you know the Knicks aren't a glorious spot to go, which it's not uh, roster wise, but still a lot of history there. And I think a guy like Tobias Harris could really he's going to take advantage of that. Hey, you're going to give me max money, live in New York, be one of the you know top guys in your squad. Let's do it. For all of those reasons, I as well choose the Knicks. So I 100%, nice. 100% lockstep with you there. Chris Middleton. Man, that and that's just another one of those off-the-cuff guys that it's tough to see, and it's impossible to make a prediction without other dominoes falling. Um, it doesn't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it doesn't sound like he's going back to Milwaukee. I think he is going back to Milwaukee. Oh, okay. I thought I saw a report. So, yeah, if that's the case, if there's still mutual interest there, I'd say that'd be a logical fix. It sounds like Brogdon's gone from Milwaukee. It doesn't sound like he's coming back there. So they'll have the money available for him. And, yeah, I think that from my understanding, it I mean, worked pretty well. They all played pretty well off each other. So Yeah, they definitely did. That I yes. mean, that team was very specifically crafted around any hole in their game that Giannis has as far yeah. as just – facilitation and all that kind of stuff i mean Giannis is an incredible player but that's a very very specific type of team that was not exactly made for seven game series which is kind of scary in and of itself but i do think that chris middleton is a really important part to bring back i've been saying it for months though and and a lot of times that i've talked about this have been in regards to dallas potentially throwing the max at him which i don't see happening at all i i just feel like i I don't think so i I wouldn't mind it but i just I don't think that's a. I don't think there's mutual interest there. I don't think so either, and I I, I don't see that being a good move for Dallas. So I I think that it's really easy for Chris Middleton to look really great against or what he's playing next to Giannis Antetokounmpo, you know. So there's a there's that part of it too, and it, that all it it works both ways, right? It makes up for Giannis's weaknesses, but it also makes up for Chris Middleton's weaknesses. So I think that he's a really important part to have back, especially if you're going to lose Brogdon. Yeah. And I would say, you know, Middleton kind of fits what Dallas is looking for when bringing in a guy, they do want someone to pair with, you know, Przingis and Luca for the foreseeable future. Middleton's 27 years old. So he kind of does fit that mold that, Hey, we want a guy in his twenties, someone that can really grow together. You know, Al Horford keeps getting mentioned. Um, You know, Dallas isn't looking to bring in a guy in his mid to late 30s that's not going to be with the organization for, you know, let's just say the next decade necessarily to kind of, you know, get this thing moving in the right direction. Hmm. We'll talk about that in a second. D'Angelo Russell. Oh, man. I I don't know. I guess the Lakers is the easy comp. There's been some noise there uh, that just – it's so funny to me if he does go back there, but right now it does fit a need with the Lakers. Um, and it sounds like there's mutual interest. So that, that'll be my go. Okay. Lakers. I don't actually hate that given what all they're going through. And I can't believe we've gotten this far without talking about the Lakers. I, I <laughs> they have one man, like their whole parade of free agency has been a nightmare with the accounting error where they accidentally forgot to free up $6 million in cap space because of, 
a trade kicker that they forgot to have Anthony Davis wave. They've done a lot of really dumb shit. Everybody's talking about how Kawhi is going to potentially meet with the Lakers. I just think that's... I mean, he's going to meet with them, but he's not signing there. First of all, of the two LA teams, that's the least likely, the least guarantee to win a, a championship versus, but if you're looking between the Clippers and Toronto, those are much better situations for Kawhi. And he's not going to be the third fiddle there. So I don't see any logical thing pointing to him even remotely having a chance to sign with the Lakers, to be honest with you. And I think they'll fuck it up anyway. I don't even think they'll be able to to give him a clean pitch. They never do. Well, and apparently Kawhi requested just to meet with Jeannie Buss and then the GM front office there. So he didn't want LeBron or AD in there. I just, it feels like he's doing it just to do it. Again, like I said, you explore all your options, but, you know, if he had serious interest in going there, you would think he would want to meet with LeBron and AD and get that worked out. So from that standpoint, just being the report saying that, he's not looking to meet with, you know, your two top all-stars, which would need to be discussed. It just, to me, shows that there's not a real interest there in him moving. Not on his side, that's for sure. I think the Lakers would be desperate to take anybody they can get. But the problem is, if they sign a max player, who the hell else is going to play basketball on the court with these three guys? Well, yeah, they'd be forced to go to all minimums at that point. So, yeah, as you've mentioned, and right there, it's, I just think there's too many logistical issues. And I mean, it's clear after last season, LeBron didn't really have that ability to recruit guys there. I think the Warriors are that landing spot for guy for those veteran men's, for those guys saying, Hey, you know, I'm willing to take the minimum to win a championship. You know, you've seen that in San Antonio in the past, you know, the Warriors of late. I don't necessarily think the Lakers are in that boat right now. We could be wrong. We could see that change if, you know, another big name does go there, but as of right now, I just don't see that setup. I'm I'm with you there. I just I, I think, man, it's gotten to a point where LeBron's almost toxic. It's crazy. Like, uh, why would you want to go there as a big name free agent or a free agent at all, knowing that there's a pretty high possibility that it may not work and that you're probably going to get Le- uh, blamed and LeBron's not. And you're also living with the fact that LeBron at any point in time can have have you shipped right on out of town. And I just, that's a terrible way to play. I don't respect LeBron for this. And that's something that kills me that I've lost for LeBron is the respect. I respect his game on the court, but not in these last two years because he has been such a fucking dickhead to everybody he's been around. And like, regardless of whether people want to admit it or not, this league is not about LeBron. It's about basketball. And I, uh, dude, that was the best part about the damn playoffs this year is not hearing about LeBron. The best part. And I just, I, I get so sick of hearing like, oh, well, LeBron is, gonna you know, like, like with the Lakers this year, he came in and just absolutely nuked the team chemistry by pretty much audibly saying, we're going to trade all of you guys for Anthony Davis. That wasn't his fucking right to do. Like, I don't care what you've done in the past. You, no one ever earns that to walk into a locker room and say, all of you guys are expendable. No, I well, I mean, he's offering parts in Space Jam too, so there's that. Well, that's a little bit different now, but I'm just talking about more, tor- like more so yeah. about how the year played out and free, uh, you know, throughout the year and all that. As far as how well, the yeah, team saying you're going to get traded, then it didn't happen. Then the rest of the season, you know, he's banged up. Guys don't care. It was it was awkward. It it, it, was, it was definitely 
a situation where you broke up with someone, but you lived together and had to, you know, work it out, still go home every day to each other. So it was awkward. I agree. So all that to be said, I think what they should do with that max money spot that they have is break it up and try to put some decent role players around these two superstars. Then you've got a legitimate chance. Yeah. And I'm, no, I'm 100% with that. So I, I think that's what they should do. I don't know that that's what they will do. I saw that they, the way they're looking at it right now is that if they strike out on, if they strike out on Kawhi and Kyrie, then they're going to look at splitting that up. And which does make sense in a way, but they just need to split it up and start concentrating on the guys that they can put around LeBron and AD. And I, no, I agree. I mean, I, everybody wants to talk about the big three. You don't necessarily have to have that to win. I mean, we talk about LeBron being on the back half of his career, but it's not like he's a dinosaur. Yeah, no, I agree. I definitely so, agree. Okay, so you got D'Angelo Russell's going going to the Lakers. I've got him going to the Timberwolves. I think okay. we were talking about that earlier in the episode. I think they've carved around and they're moving around pieces because I think that they're going to want a point guard, and I think him and Carl Anthony Towns are pretty close buddies. I think that kind of stuff matters here. I'm going to say the Timberwolves. Okay. And the last one I want to hear your thoughts on is Al Horford. Yeah, that one is a complete mystery to me. Um, I, apparently, he started following Pelicans players, so that that was the rage yesterday on Twitter. Um, that That's just tough. I, I think, again, it's going to be a domino situation where whoever misses out, he'll probably get the max from someone. Could be the Knicks. Who knows? Um, but it wouldn't shock me either to see, see a Nets pairing there. Uh, you know, with Kyrie, Al Horford, you know, it's a win-now situation if you bring both those guys in, so... I would say the Knicks are Nets, so looking East Coast just depends how, you know, where where everything else falls. What do you want your final prediction to be, Nets or Knicks? I'll go Nets. I'll go Nets. But we'll put the caveat of a New York team. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say the Mavericks, actually, and this is kind of a dark horse signing. I don't think it's going to be for as much money as people are saying for for uh, 112 is what's been floated around. I think they could use the veteran pre- presence. I think they need a center. Uh, I mean, there are 28 free agent centers on the market. I guess 27 since Vucevic is not going to be out there. But there are a lot of options there. And I also, I really don't hate if the Mavericks are going to be able to sign like Brogdon and Pat Bev, or, Pat Bev, I would love for them to do that and then just go out and get just somebody to play the center, uh, you know, Miles Leonard, somebody like that, you know. Um, I just think, though, that the veteran presence is going to be necessary in that locker room. They had guys like Harrison Barnes and Wes Matthews and DeAndre Jordan and, you know, all those guys, all of those have been shipped out of town. You've got a very young team. You want a guy that's going to be able to mentor these guys. And I think Dallas could, if they play this free agency right, I mean, if you sign Brogdon and, you know, Patrick Beverly next to Luca and Chris Stops, you've got a hell of a defensive backcourt. And, a lot of sharpshooting, and then if you have Al Horford, who's able to, because the thing is, like, you don't need necessarily like a rim runner anymore because of the fact that you have Kristaps who can shoot, uh, stretch the floor. So right. you really need somebody who just can get rebounds. That's all you need, and I think he can do that. He can do that, and also be a, a good veteran mentorship. I think this is a, a very bold and maybe a thirty percent chance this happens, but I'm just gonna. I'm going to put it out there because there's some dark horse team out there that we don't know about that is putting that he seems to be very sure that he can sign with these guys. I mean, he opted out of a $30 million player option. So at what, 34 years old, 35 years old. Yep. So he must be damn sure he can get a a contract somewhere else. 
yeah, I agree with you. So that that that's why it's going to be a real interesting uh, domino. That's for sure. Agreed. Well, we'll visit these back next week and kind of go, uh, you know, pick by pick and see where everybody has landed because that well, more than likely, most of these should have fallen by then. Oh yeah, the big names will for sure. All right. Well, we're headed into baseball all star break coming up here next week. All star game. I'm I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, the rosters get released tonight, Sunday night. So that'll be I think at five thirty Eastern time, something like that. Oh, I th- uh, yeah, I think they're pretty much. I mean, I mean, they're pretty lot. much, but the locked rosters of who's starting and all that stuff is tonight. Yeah, well, I think the weren't the starters released, or am I crazy? Were they? They might have been. I might have missed it. But yeah, um, I think the uh, starting rosters were at least released, and you know, no big surprise names uh, necessarily coming out. Um, I yeah, well, yeah, they were released because Hunter Pence is the starting DH oh, for the yeah. DL. Duh, I did see this. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so you had some guys, you know, uh, the feel-good stories, Gattel Marte for the D-backs, starting uh, short or second baseman there over Ozzy Albies from the Braves. You know, that that's certainly a feel-good. You know, Hunter Dozier looks like he's making the third base for the AL. Uh, another guy came out of nowhere. Uh, again, another middle infield, Jorge Polanco for the Twins. Fantastic season. So it's nice to see him rewarded on that. Um, you know, those were a couple that jumped out to me. Uh, at least on that side. And, you know, Joey Gallo, not going to be a starter, but having some heck of a year. Uh, glad to see that he was able to, fortunate to make the roster. I, I saw Josh Reddick, I believe, on there too, which is just makes a joke almost out of the Every all-star time, game. Dude, Josh I... Reddick is getting on there. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a standard list of names, at least on the hitting side. You're, you're not seeing too many guys who didn't really deserve to be there, but you know, I like those guys who are making the first one, someone who's had a real up-and-down career like Cattell Marte for the D-backs. Uh, and, you know, like DJ LeMahieu also, you know, second baseman who's going to be starting, you know, goes from taking a you know contract with the Yankees, was supposed to be more of a role guy, you know, a mm-hmm. couple days a week, fill in, you know, if there's injury, great. And, uh, you know, came up as a big prospect wasn't really sure after last year if he was going to be able to wrangle that in. Um, and so to see him be able to stabilize his career and especially in Pittsburgh, I, I'm very happy to see him making that roster. Sorry, our, our terrible internet connection cut out. Who was the player you were just talking about there? So I apologize. Josh Bell for the Pirates. You know, got it. We got the rest of it. We just didn't get the name. Yeah, Josh Bell there. So exciting to see him, uh, you know, certainly deserving. We... Sam and I talk a lot on the outfielder over the over the last year or two about how DJ LeMahieu is such a confusing player because he was so unproductive overall in Colorado. He's been electric for the Yankees. Yeah, the sudden surge of power, and I, I think if you look into what he's done, you know the the launch angle movement in baseball. You've seen a lot of guys kind of resurrect their career, and that's why we've really seen the average, uh, you know, the averages for guys dip a little bit just from this new launch angle movement. Uh, but, you know, guys like Daniel Murphy transformed their career in the later half. D.J. LeMayu seemed to do the same. Uh, it's really given guys who maybe were off the radar or falling off starting lineups with this movement uh, really provide them, you know, that opportunity. You know, Luke Voigt's another guy like that, uh, you know, 250, 260 hitter, but now, you know, kind of tweaks the swing, uh, the new appreciation for this and, the home runs are flying out this year. I mean, people aren't talking about that, but my goodness. I mean, just I don't know if the pitchers have got to make some adjustments or what, but goodness, guys are just 
balls are flying out. I, I don't know how you change that. I don't think you necessarily want to. It's providing more entertainment, but uh, it's been fun. Sam was saying that the uh, new baseballs this year have had a lot to do with it. Players have been talking about it. Coaches have been talking about it a lot. Okay. Where the stitching is a little bit wider, and I think it really allows home runs to fly. I mean, Nomar Mazzara is hitting absolute bombs. And, like, he's not like a – I mean, he's a good player, but he's not like a J.D. Martinez or anything like that where he's just a bomb hitter. No, and, you know, Nomar Mazzara, that's an interesting – character you know kind of a top prospect for the rangers i wouldn't necessarily say he's developed in what you were hoping for uh you know still younger but it's kind of looking more like a nick markakis type career than a to your point a, a jd martinez but still a young kid but uh yeah hitting 500 uh foot bombs certainly makes you perk up yeah he hit 491 feet the other night that's crazy yeah, that's a Joey Gallo type distance. So I'm not knocking on Nomar Mazzara. All I'm saying is the fact that a guy like that can get that kind of distance and power, there's got to be something going on there. It's not to discredit him at all. It would have been a home run no matter what, but it's just a matter of how far it was. And that that's crazy to me. I mean, I get it, man. That's that's the excitement in this game, right? I mean, we'll we'll just get right into it. We're talking we we've been watching the London series for the Red Sox versus the Yankees. I mean, that game was 17 to 13 yesterday. Yeah, it, it's interesting because there's a lot of talk about you, know, you went from a soccer stadium, they transformed it into a football stadium. The dimensions of the outfield were interesting. I think there was a lot of potential for the home runs there, uh, just looking at the dim- dimensions. Now, weather does not play a role into this at all. For folks that don't know, you know, this is being played on an English Premier League West Ham United's home stadium. What they do with soccer stadiums, they're specifically built to not have any wind or air on the field because, you know, soccer ball is a lot easier to get moved around. Right. So you're this isn't like a suction cup where everything's shooting out. There's no – yesterday had nothing to do with weather. It was more about the dimensions. And I think to your point, maybe some baseballs going on. Uh, and I think we're naive to think that <laughs> – I, I don't know. I'm not saying that they were told to throw some fastballs down the middle, but if you looked at some pitch locations yesterday, yeah, maybe it was the mounds a little bit lower. I don't know what it was, but there's clearly something going on where these guys were not hit. No one was hitting their spots, and these guys were teeing off. I mean, it just looked like batting practice. They're taking big daddy hacks out there. Um, but a lot more to do with this has to do with the dimensions of that field. I think it's like 380 to straight center. I mean, these guys are hitting it over, but you know, you could tell uh, if this was at a you know normal 400 to center field, eh, they may not be getting it out of there. So, I think it's on the flip side. I love this idea for baseball. You know, getting the London International involved. I think I'm not going to say you could see a team move to London, but I think you could definitely see more interactions like this. You've been very vocal about you know the MLB not supporting stars like Mike Trout or getting the interest. This is a way to do that. This is an exact – I mean, this place is sold out. they got 60,000 yeah. fans. There's not a seat in there. This is a way to attract new and better fans. I get that. I also – and a more international base, too, and I, I get that. It feels lazy to me in a way, though, because it feels like we're not going to put the money and resources forward in our current product to make a difference as to how fans look at this game. We're just going to try to expand to more fans elsewhere, which baseball is such an international game now, and I get that, and it's it's a close cousin to cricket. So, I mean, I 
I get the the interest from over there, but it feels like if that's why baseball is doing this, it's to solve a problem that they're they're not looking at the right problem to solve. I mean, for this week alone, for God's sakes, they rolled out a a weird thing where the Rays have permission to be splitting time, splitting the season between there and Montreal. I mean, that is a ridiculous notion. Yeah, that's not going to happen. I think Tampa Bay, they're because they have a contract there through about the next decade. I've spoken that they're not going to allow that to happen. Um, obviously, money can change your mind and all that. But, uh, but yeah, from the standpoint of splitting it up, I, I hate that idea. And so, it's like, but like, oh, I'm like, let's try. We can't get a publicly financed stadium out of one city. So let's try to go get it out of two instead and pit them against each other. That's not how that works. That's not what you do. And I can't believe the MLB even allowed that in the first place. My point is that if they would take some time and look at some of the things that actually affect fans perspective of this game and why fans aren't as interested in this game, amping up the amount of home runs teams hit and all that kind of stuff and trying to expand to an international, you know, uh, demographic is fine, but that's not really solving the actual problem. Right. And that's the issue I have with it. And I, I, I feel lesser to a degree about this, about the London series. I agree with you in a lot of ways. I think it is cool. I think it's neat that they like shipped all the like walls and padding and stuff over there. They shipped like I think it was like a hundred tons of dirt over there to to fill out the the warning track and all that stuff. I mean, like tons right. of you know all that stuff is unique. They played it up the right way. I the only problem with this is I feel like I started hearing about it a week ago, and the Red Sox are my favorite baseball team. Yeah, I mean they did release it before the season, they but did. to your point, it, it was not. It was not publicized, at least here in the States, as much as you would think, like the NFL is. I mean, the London games, you hear about them, talk about it on the schedule. Hey, this is something you're looking at. So, yeah, I think to your point, it, it wasn't maybe played up as much as it could have been or should have been by the MLB. That's my main issue with it. And that's the whole time that they could have spent really amping this up. I just didn't really hear much about it. And granted, I look about it or I look at it in a vacuum and I'm keeping an eye on the schedule no matter what, because they're my teams. But like that doesn't matter to the average fan. And that's kind of the point. So if you do a better job marketing this stuff as you're coming up towards it, maybe a month or two out, then you start to look at something that causes a lot of buzz, especially the fact that these games were like on Saturday, like afternoon and Sunday morning. That's a great time to capture an audience when the NBA is done and baseball is the only thing going on right now. Hockey's done as well and football hasn't started yet. Right. No, I agree. I definitely agree. All right, man. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap things up there. Uh, we want to remind everyone to follow us on Twitter at sensibly loud on Instagram as well at sensibly loud and on Facebook at so, uh, sensibly loud media. Make sure to check out the website for all the latest blogs, pods, and more. That's sensiblyloud.com. And make sure also to check out our other shows. We have sensibly loud radio, an entertainment show, basketball, it's covered by On the Break, Baseball as the Outfielder, and Reality TV and Entertainment, our greatest show with Caitlin and Claire, just peachy. Pretty awesome. We want to remind everyone to check all that stuff out, and we will see you guys next week. Keep PC.